Hello, everyone. We're back after a very long hiatus. Um, If you don't follow us on Instagram, I had appendicitis. And it definitely made it so I was not in the mood to think very much. Um, It was rough. We've also been pretty busy. I feel like we're both kind of trying to do a little more socializing. And that just takes a little extra time. That's true. I was going to say, I don't know why we've both been kind of... But yeah, actually, I, it's been I do know. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> for sure. So, which Trying is good. To get out and do it's more. Thing. Yes. Um, Having but, fun. Yeah, it's thrown this off, which is sad. You know, there's nothing's ever perfect. But we're but only but one break. Back. Only yes. one break. Yes, we're good. we just that's skipped fine. one. Yeah. Um, it's okay. Which means it's been a month <laughs> by the yeah. time you're listening to this. That is crazy. We've heard another one since we do every other week now, but. Yeah. That's all good. Um, but hey, we are, I'm Tori. I'm Coriana. <laughs> this is Not in All Things, where we discuss books and movies and the wonderful gospel principles we can learn from them. Heck yeah. And today is a day, this oh, is a great episode to come back on. This is the day we've been waiting for. Yes. Since <laughs> long before we even officially started this podcast. We almost did this as our first episode, yes. but we were like, uh, we should probably do something that's a little more widespread, <laughs> well-loved. Less, uh, Less just Tori and Kariana loving yes. it. <laughs> I would say just, but no, 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 controversial. No. It's a very controversial. It's very, there are lots yeah. of people who love it, but mm-hmm. definitely not like a Pride and Prejudice. Yes, yeah, not the Pride and Prejudice <laughs> sort of thing. So we're talking about Wuthering Heights today, which Yay! you would know from the title. But, um, yeah, it's very exciting. Um, let's start with the summary before we get into personal experiences. I'm so tempted to just go off, but I'm like, know. let's talk about what this is about. Yes. If you've never we'll heard of it or don't know much about it, I'll let Kariana do that. Yes. Okay. I'm going to start with it as my favorite novel ever in the world. <laughs> before I, you know, anyway, there's my sneak peek to my personal yes. experience. Um, okay. So, Wuthering Heights was written by Emily Bronte in the mid-1800s, and so Victorian literature, definitely where Tori and I really get our kicks, and so this novel is just, it's just perfectly, beautifully Victorian gothic, (laughs) Um, and it explores the lives of two families, the Earnshaws and the Lintons, living respectively at Wuthering Heights and Thrushcross Grange. These are two neighboring houses out in the country, so, you know, they're not like you know, next door, next door, but as close as neighbors get out in the English countryside. Um, And the lives of these families are woven together through love, marriage, children, and revenge as this tale of abuse, obsession, death, and finally redemption plays out across two generations. Yes, I would even say three generations, but... That is fair. That's fair. There is a... Yeah, there's a yeah. first generation mm-hmm. in there across yes, three generations. Involved. Yeah, it has an that's impact, relevant. Yes, impact, you're sure. right. You're right. I appreciate that correction. So yeah, it's amazing. Um, also, really briefly, especially if you're watching on YouTube, we're in a new location again. Yay! <laughs> we're still in our new apartment, but we actually have furniture and stuff. This is our official <laughs> now recording space. Yeah, uh, <laughs> there may be a little bit of changes with the decor. We have a couple of things we want to set up and stuff and like this shelf we want to kind of like organize a little more specifically 
Um, but we have but a table, we have books, we have pictures. It'll be great. It's so, like a real yeah. home. Yes. It's so exciting, honestly. We're very excited. We are. Yeah. We really are. It's so yep. nice to not just have a couch in the background and sit on the floor. It's with a bin as a table. Yes. There was a charm to it, but there was. it was a brief... For the first few weeks. A brief moment. The charm and, disappeared. And we don't have to, like, go around a door and like try to find our way in i mean this yeah, is still a little family. bit like, it's true i was still kind of pushing my way through but, that, but not that's okay as bad. not as bad where in our bad. in our previous recording space at tori's parents house we had to take turns walking in there <laughs> i'd squeeze my backpack on the table and then squeeze in <laughs> and then shut the door behind me and then open it and then tori can squeeze it quite <laughs> to work there. Um, so, so this is fantastic. Yes, this is so exciting. And not sitting cross-legged on the floor, my legs won't fall asleep yes, over and over again. Like actual, actual chairs. Actual that chairs. Are comfy. Yes. Uh, I love it. Yes, we're excited. Thanks. So, yes. Thanks for listening to yeah, us sorry, be excited. I have to do a little pause because I was like, if you're watching this on YouTube, you're probably like, where the heck are you? Yeah. We same are, same yes. building. Just on the other side of the room. The couch is right there. Basically, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right. But back into Wuthering Heights. So, personal experiences. Okay. <laughs> this, okay. we're going to try not to make this take an eternity because talking <sighs> about the book will take forever. Okay. Well. All right. Keep so, that in mind. So, <laughs> um, basically, my experience, the first time I read it was the summer before my junior year of high school and I I hated it <laughs> I guess to sum up my first time reading it we read it during like I said the summer it was our summer reading and so we came back to discuss it and once we discussed it I started liking it more mm. but when I first read it like many other people I was like what the heck is this these are all horrible people and this is just so bad and then, yeah, we discussed it, and I found myself actually really, really liking it once mm -hmm. I kind of understood it on a different level. It was also one of my first classics, so I wasn't really used to the different style, writing style and stuff. So, yeah, it was a bit interesting. Then, several years later, after that, I kind of considered it as one of my favorite classics. After I had read some others, I was like, I think I would say Wuthering Heights is one of my favorites. But I ended up reading it again several years later, and once I was in college, and that time... I found I liked the first half a lot, and the second half I didn't like as much. Mm. So then it was kind of like, oh, maybe I didn't love it as much as I thought I did, but I definitely liked it better than when I first read it, technically. And then I kind of did some more soul-searching, and then I listened to it on audiobook, like, two years oh, after that. Okay. And I loved it. And I was like, okay, I'm this in it. it. I mean, even during that time, I wasn't sure how I felt about it. I loved hearing people talk about it because like we mentioned earlier it's a very controversial, so controversial book like you really most people either love it or hate it like yeah. there's not a lot it'd be really hard to yeah, yeah like I don't know how you could it really inspires feel like strong emotion <laughs> like it's Heathcliff yeah <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I don't think you could say Heathcliff M. You either are like he's awful or I love him. Or he's so I love to cool. Hate him. Yes, yeah. You I don't actually better, love yeah. love him, but you shouldn't. If you, you do, should. probably you don't go have see a therapist. But yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. So basically, it was kind of a journey for me. But now I actually, and then for a while, I was like, oh, it's definitely one of my favorites. But yeah. I don't know if it's my favorite. I think I would say it's my favorite book of all time now. Okay. The more I think about it and okay. like review it and stuff, the more I'm like, 
Yeah, it's pretty up there. I think it depends a little bit on the day with like that Fair. and Tessa the Durbervilles yeah, and it's... like Lamez. I think are probably my top three. Mm-hmm. A couple by Dickens maybe or something, but like it would depend on my mood. But I think Weathering Heights a lot of the time I would say is my favorite. So, yeah. okay, cool. I read it for the first time in my senior year AP literature class of high okay. school. And I loved it <laughs> from day one. Sold immediately. Sold immediately. Oh my gosh. So I was always, I I had such a complex relationship with reading and books growing up because like I always loved reading, but I never liked anything that I read, right? And so I've heard it said that like everybody's a reader, just everybody hasn't found their genre, right? And I was that person where I loved reading but I was just like, man, books suck. Like, I don't know. I don't know why I kept going back to reading. I'm so glad I did. And I, I just I just loved it. But but I so rarely found a book that I really enjoyed. Um, and then my freshman year of high school, Tale of Two Cities, we read that. And I was like, a t- like yes, 100% A Tale of Two Cities. This is my favorite. And then I, when I read Wuthering Heights my senior year, I was like, oh, my this might be out of tale of two cities like this is and it took me a while to officially change my my statement from a tale of two cities to Wuthering Heights but but I finally did and um and so I guess what I realized my senior year was that we read a lot of like classic literature not like all Victorian classic classics from a wide wide variety of of times but I loved all of it and I think that's when I realized that like this is my genre like I loved Victorian literature. I loved medieval literature. Like I, lo- I'm like I don't like modern literature. <laughs> That's why, because I'm a teenager. So everybody shoves these YA novels on me, and I'm like, like I hate them. <laughs> and so then once I realized that there was a pattern of Victorian literature with this beautiful writing style and these exciting themes and these creepy undertones, <laughs> and I was like, this is it man and so so yeah loved it from day one oh my gosh and then yeah I took a Victorian literature class in college where we read it again and I was so excited and I'm a slacker and normally if I've already read a book I'd be like don't have to do that but with this one I was like yes I get to reread Wuthering Heights and I have like 400,000 little notes in here from it from that class and yeah so just just love, just love. I, so I've written essays on it. I've annotated it like crazy. I loved it from day one and I haven't stopped loving it since. It just makes me so happy. And I convinced my brother to do a book report on it this year. So we've been talking about it and he doesn't love it as much as me, but that's okay. That's all right. <laughs> so, Sometimes yeah. I think it does take rereading for a lot of people. And that's fair. Like, the more yeah. you read it, the more you love it, or you continue to hate it. Right, it is but, it is an option, yeah. but there's just so much to it, and it's so fascinating. And it's that not it's like, very long, like yeah. it's such a short book compared to other Victorian compared novels. Compared to other, yeah. What what really do we have? Like long. three oh three hundred pages? Yeah, yeah. Three, yeah. Just little over, over little over three hundred pages. That's not bad at all. Yeah, yeah. The amount of Victorian novels that are at least five hundred pages, yeah, or more, yeah. And it's really just not that bad of a read, you know? Like, uh, it it is Victorian language, but as far as, like, 
mid 1800s go it's relatively straightforward yeah compared to other things reading henry james right now and i'm like dude i read a lot of victorian literature and i cannot keep up with your writing special person (laughs) so now everything feels easy (laughs) so if you haven't read wuthering heights we a thousand percent recommend it yes (laughs) even if you hate it to this and like get all the gist but like it's a different experience from reading oh my it. Goodness. Like just talking about the plot points is not the same as reading it because her <laughs> language so is just amazing, and yeah, the dialogue uh, is crazy. Yes. And I'm not wearing it, but Tori bought me a necklace for Christmas one year <laughs> that inspires a lot of. Con- it's a it's a good conversation starter. I don't know if I've told you that a lot yeah. of conversations mm-hmm. get started by that necklace. Yes. And it has the quote, "Whatever our souls are made of, his and mine are the same." And everybody's like. Oh, did your boyfriend give that to you? And I'm like, wow, no, because I don't have a boyfriend. If he gave this to me, it would just tell me that he doesn't know what it's about. You have no idea what that means. Because this is, uh, it's it's not good, but we'll get there. (laughs) If you don't understand, if you don't know, you will know. Don't worry. This is not a, if you know, you know. I will take one moment to do a mini little mention about our personal relationship with it as a friendship okay yeah just because i feel like we need to explain i mean we're passionate about it because it's both of our favorite books or one of them but also it was a huge starting point for our friendship victorian literature in general was i was in that victorian literature class when we met so (laughs) october it's also victober that's also why we're victober So if you don't know, there's basically an online, someone called it an online festival. And I was like, yes. That's such a cute idea. That is a great way to describe it. Because it's not just reading the books. It's not just a readathon. Like there's people making videos and people cooking like Victorian era or sewing, doing projects. And like, it's so amazing. But basically it's a big festival where it's just surrounding Victorian literature. And it goes throughout the month of October. It's hosted by several wonderful YouTubers, um, specifically, let's see if I can list them. (laughs) Katie from Books and Things, Kate Howe, Marissa from Blatantly Bookish, Roz from Scally Dandling About the Books, and Petra Yu. Yay! Look at you. Look at me. Um, so I will definitely, on YouTube especially, but I'll try to remember on the podcast as well, to link at least Katie from Books and Things. I'll just link her channel. She is the, it was her brainchild originally, so feel like I should link hers and then you'll connect with all the rest after that her and Kate Howe were the originals and then it's kind of shifted other hosts and stuff but yes it's amazing and we were like we definitely should do Wuthering Heights for we sorry you missed we were gonna do a short story by Elizabeth Gaskell as well but that's the one we skipped next October yes next October we'll yes. do a creepy short story again and it will be great but for now Wuthering Heights so anyway back to our friendship yes it was right after Victober so Victorian literature was also fresh on my mind and we ended up having this conversation about Victorian literature and yeah. specifically about Wuthering Heights and there have been many 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 more conversations since <laughs> about Wuthering Heights specifically (laughs) and I feel like often it's the same conversation but it's just fun to say again and again so it's fun too because our boss knew it's so funny because both neither of us are like particularly like 
I'm going to be social and go out and like me and talk to new people. Imagine like nobody who hosts a book or literature podcast would be introverted. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) But, um, but yeah, so our boss, I had just been hired and our boss was, and it was our first time working together. And she was like, you guys are going to love each other. You both like reading. And I think we talked about it later. We were both like, wow, somebody who likes reading. Who cares? Like, that does not mean that she's going to like reading what I read. And then we talked about Victorian literature and we were like, what? That's amazing. We even talked about Victorian literature around teenage boys who thought it was so funny. Our teenage boy coworkers thought we were hysterical, just saying. So, like, if you don't, it's because of you. (laughs) It's your own problem. Okay, so anyway, moving on to what our principle of Christ is, is we're going to be focusing on healing families and Christ's ability to do that. So to introduce that idea, often we think of the Savior's ability to heal individuals. He aids us in overcoming our weaknesses, purifies us from sin, and walks with us through our struggles. But his power also encompasses a more exalted need, the healing of families. As with the prodigal son and his father, we can receive power to forgive, love, and form stronger relationships. And I think this book, I mean, a lot of it is focused on kind of a cycle of abuse and generational trauma, I would Mm -hmm. say. A lot of the issues come up that are based in that. And by the end, we are able to see a little bit of redemption and hope for the future, which is beautifully, beautifully done. So... Let's kick it off with where we start. So there's a lot of story within a story going on. So the story starts off with Lockwood, and he has recently moved into this new home. He's renting this place from this man named Heathcliff. And he visits Heathcliff and doesn't really know what to make of him at first. It's His relationship with Heathcliff is very interesting because he doesn't really know what to make of him at first, but then, like, the next time he goes and visits, he kind of likes him at first. Like, he's like, oh, yeah, I actually kind of like you. And then Heathcliff does some things that makes him like, what the heck is wrong with you? And then he kind of is uncomfortable with him after that. So, Which I think most people would be. I mean, yeah. Heathcliff would be an unsettling think, guy to be around. I think he's <laughs> definitely the type of guy that, like, I mean, okay, this is a really extreme thing to say, but also Heathcliff's extreme, so I feel like it works. Yep. Where people talk about, like, psychopaths, like people can kind of sense that mm. they're in the presence of like a predator okay and i feel like with heathcliff you could kind of get that but like oh, those same sure. serial killers like create that atmosphere but also like know how to be really charming right and that's how they lure people away you know i feel and like I that feel describes like heathcliff perfectly heathcliff, exactly like yeah. i think he knows how to he learns i don't think when he was younger he could but no. whatever he did in these missing years which we'll get to but during his missing years he's very he knows how to deal with people and to win them over but the longer you're around him the more you're like there's something weird about you like there's something off about this and I think Lockwood very much gets that sense gets that sense so we have this interesting scene he's just kind of the first chapter is really him just kind of introducing his first interaction with Heathcliff and just the area Thrushcross so he's renting Thrushcross Grange Um, And Heathcliff lives at Wuthering Heights, which is just, like, over the hill, basically. 
like I said, Lockwood doesn't really know what to make of Heathcliff, and then he goes to Wuthering Heights again, and it's, like, just before a storm, and he ends up meeting some more people there. So he meets this boy who looks very disheveled and dirty, who lets him in, who's not very polite, and he sees this woman who's very beautiful, but also isn't very polite, and he assumes that she's Heathcliff's daughter. Well, does he think that it's his wife at first? Or is that later? I think he's trying to figure out if it's his wife or his daughter. Out, but he kind of has it. a crush on yeah. her. So if he thinks it's his wife, it can't be for very long. Yeah. Because he's interested so. in her. I think it's. I think he starts by thinking it's his daughter. I think so. But then she says her name's Mrs. Heathcliff. That's what it was. They're, they call her Mrs. Heathcliff. Right. And so then he's like, oh, so it must be his wife, but she's so young. And yes, like, is weirded that's out about right. It. That's right. And then Heathcliff is like, no, this is my daughter-in-law. So yeah. he, she had married his son who passed away. Right. Yes. And then he thinks that this dirty boy that he saw when he came in must be Heathcliff's son that she's married to. And he's like, no, that's... Well, I don't even remember what Heathcliff says Hareton is. Yeah, he doesn't really call him anything. He just says he's not my son. And so Lockwood's like, um, okay. I oh, think yeah. he kind of just assumes maybe he's like a servant or something, which would make sense based on everything. Yeah. But yes, yeah, so this whole thing happens and it's, yeah, really uncomfy for him. <laughs> like he just is not being treated very nicely by any of them. Heathcliff, who's been very charming in his way or whatever ends up being kind of mocking and I think that's what makes Lockwood uncomfortable start to be uncomfortable Lockwood is definitely very vain and he does not like being made fun of so I think as soon as he starts getting the sense that Heathcliff doesn't totally respect him he gets upset and doesn't like it (laughs) so one thing leads to another I'm not going to go into detail but I will say that it's like dark and stormy night dogs chasing after poor Lockwood and just this weird group of people that are at Wuthering Heights treating him not very well and he basically is attempting to go home but because of this big snowstorm that's going on he can't really do it safely and he doesn't really know where he is so he ends up being allowed to stay the night through a lot of finagling through nature and just events going on Uh, poor Lockwood had to fight pretty hard to be allowed to stay So he gets led to this room by this maid that's working in the house, and she it's kind of a strange room. It clearly hasn't been used in a long time. And on the windowsill, he sees written over and over Catherine Earnshaw, Catherine Linton, Catherine Heathcliff, just kind of all of those rotating a bit. And he doesn't really understand it, but he's very interested in it, and for some reason spells out the name in his head to help him fall asleep we don't know he just does <laughs> he fits right along yeah, with everyone else <laughs> just as weird as everybody else and we have this amazing scene that's very iconic of <sighs> the i call it the window scene it's basically he's he sleeps and he kind of has like weird dreams about everything that's been going on and so he hears this fur bow repeating this tapping on the glass. And so he's like, okay, I can't stand this anymore. So he goes, he opens the window to go break this branch off, basically, that's causing all this drama and all this noise. 
And he says, stretching an arm out to seize the importunate branch. I don't think I'm going to be able to say that word ever. Um, Instead of which, my fingers closed on the fingers of a little ice-cold hand. The intense horror of nightmare came over me. I tried to draw back my arm, but the hand clung to it, and a most melancholy voice sobbed, Let me in! Let me in! Who are you? I asked, struggling, meanwhile, to disengage myself. Catherine Linton! It replied shiveringly. Why did I think of Linton? I had read Earnshaw twenty times for Linton. I'm come home. I'd lost my way on the moor. Terror made me cruel, and fighting it Finding it useless to attempt shaking the creature off, I pulled its wrist onto the broken pane and rubbed it to and fro till the blood ran down and soaked the bedclothes. Still it welled, let me in. And then a little bit down it says, it's 20 years. I've been away for 20 years. And that is one of those scenes where the whole question of, is it a ghost? Is it actually her or is it just in his head? But I do think it's interesting that he points out, why did I think of Linton when mm-hmm. I had seen Earnshaw so many ta- more times? And it's because that's what her last that's name was. That's her name, actually. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm inclined to think it's actually her ghost because of I like oh, yes. so oh, yes. exciting. When um, my brother and I were talking about it, I was like, when he said that the end was anticlimactic, I was like, you didn't think like the ghosts were, yeah. <laughs> were climatic? And he was like, well, I just figured it was metaphorical, and I was like, Please. but is it? <laughs> I'm is like, it? that's the debate, isn't it? <laughs> or are there ghosts? <laughs> so good. We love it so much. Because it, it keeps the haunted, like, uncomfortable, unknown feeling to be like, we don't know if they're actually ghosts or not. Right. But, like, it's kind of spooky. Of them actually being ghosts. Yes. Yeah. So good. I don't know why it's spookier to, like, not know if there are ghosts than just knowing that there are ghosts, but it yeah. feels spookier. <laughs> it is. It is. Where you're like, is he crazy? Is he dreaming? Yeah. Is there a ghost? We don't know. We don't know. It could be anything. Yeah. <laughs> it could. Yes. So Ugh. good. So it's a really eerie scene, but it gets even better after that because then we have, so he yells out, obviously. <laughs> I guess his hand is being gripped by a ghost child. And... Heathcliff comes running in and is like, what the heck are you even doing in here? Because he did not tell Zilla, the maid, to take him there. (laughs) And so he's like, what are you doing in there? And he's talking about, like, that creature that was pulling at my arm at the window and all this stuff. And Heathcliff's very offended that he would even say that because, well, we learn later on why. But he ends up saying, okay, Lockwood, go sleep in my room and I'll just stay here tonight. And so as Lockwood leaves to go stay in Heathcliff's room, he overhears this very, like, emotional moment from Heathcliff, and he feels kind of uncomfortable that he, he kind of feels like, I shouldn't have heard that, like, that wasn't for my ears, basically. I'll read the actual thing, because I think it's just beautifully written, and you get the sense of Heathcliff's desperation that leads us into understanding the rest of the story, I would say, in the relationships that are explored. So he's leaving. He says, I obeyed what Heathcliff told him to go to his room. So far as to quit the chamber, when ignorant where the narrow lobbies led, I stood still and was witness involuntarily to a piece of superstition on the part of my landlord, which belied oddly his apparent sense. He got onto the bed and wrenched open the lattice, bursting as he pulled at it into an uncontrollable passion of tears. 
Come in, come in, he sobbed. Kathy, do come. Oh, do, once more. Oh, my heart's darling, hear me this time. Catherine, at last. And I think that this, just connecting with our gospel principle, I think this scene is really important to help us understand the level of trauma and suffering that's being experienced within this these two homes. And we're able to see that they have things they need to be healed from before we see what those things actually are, which I think mm. just adds to the emotion of the whole book really well, just on a on the literary side of things, but also I think adds to the redemption arc of the whole story that showcases the power of Christ to heal families, not just individuals. I think it is really helpful to have this outburst from Heathcliff because as you get to know the story, it's really, I always say that Heathcliff quote-unquote loves Catherine you know (laughs) like it's really hard for me to just in seriousness say that Heathcliff loves Catherine because it's so obsessive and it's so toxic and and so unhealthy dependent on her yes they're very codependent they're very codependent codependent yes and so it's so difficult for me to consider it love and so then it's difficult to like it can be hard to like untangle these family relationships and see it really as something that like even should be healed. I don't know what the right way to say it is. You know, it's hard to take it seriously, I guess is all it's like, Oh my gosh, Heathcliff, you're literally just insane Mm -hmm. and you need to move on. And so having this kind of like, you know, this genuine, like my heart's darling, like him sobbing, you know, without knowing the history, it's kind of this like, like, no, Heathcliff is hurting. <laughs> yeah, he feels this very deeply. Yeah, he's, yeah, and it, it's a little more, I, I can't, I still can't really claim to feel super empathetic towards yeah, him, no. but it's kind of an empathetic moment, you know, it kind of, it le- looking, looking back at it. say 20 years, 20 years, so you're like, okay. He's been waiting yes. 20 years too. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yes. Whatever it is. 20 years have gone by and he's and reacting this way. that's a long way. time. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So it kind of, like, looking back on it, it lets me kind of think, like, okay, you know, like, there's more to this than just, like, all of the all of, all of the poor choices that we see through the rest of the novel. Like, there's, there's genuine emotion here that he's experiencing, whether it's because he's a psychopath yes. or not. Yeah. I guess... <laughs> The fact that he's feeling that much emotion means he's probably not a psychopath. That's fair. He's just... Right. He's probably more like on the borderline personality disorder side of Mm, things as opposed to sociopathic. Yeah. So then, go forward a little bit, Lockwood ends up talking to his land... Well, not landlady, but his, like, maid, housemaid that covers, takes care of his home, the Thrushcross Grange and discovers her name's Nellie and she, he discovers that she actually grew up at Wuthering Heights as a servant there and so he she's very familiar with everything going on so he kind of gets her to talk she's a gossipy old lady at this point and is willing to chat and so although it's interesting like we don't really know how old Nellie is I would guess I mean Heathcliff seems like he's probably like 40 and she's not that much older than him yeah I think they make it they never tell us, but I think they make it pretty clear at the beginning when they're kids that she's, like, a little bit older than Henley, you know? She's, she's I get... about the age as Henley, because the, yeah. she talks about it like they were friends. Right. I've heard someone mention, like, they probably had 
not the same relationship for sure, but a similar relationship to um, Heathcliff and Catherine. Right, where they kind of hung out and understood each other a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. No, I've I've always kind of gotten the sense that she was just like a you know maybe an early teenager, fifteen at the Mm -hmm. most when she's when she starts out the story. So. Yeah, not that much. Less than 10 years, for sure. Yeah. Older than Heathcliff. Yeah, I would, I would say. say probably... I would guess 50s, which back then would be pretty old, but... Decently, yeah. Old, but, yeah. I mean, it's not like she's, like, a grandma. Sometimes yeah, I think she's I not hovering her over. <laughs> I picture her as, like, a 70-year-old woman. Okay. Yeah, no. Yeah. I think she's pretty middle-aged. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, she begins her story, and like we said, she was friends with Henley, who is the older son of the Earnshaw family. So we have Mr. Earnshaw, we have Henley, and then they also ha- he also has a daughter named Catherine. I don't think we learned that much about their mom. She kind of is just... Yeah. She's very briefly there. Yeah, barely. I, I think she just kind of was a little bit more of a introverted, quiet kind of person. Is what um, I, the feeling I, I think get. she just yeah. wasn't super relevant to their development. Mm-hmm. You know, they were raised by probably governesses and maids, young, and when they were pretty young. And yeah. Anyway, but yes, their dad is a little more involved, and they one day he goes off on like a business trip, and when he comes back, he brings this child with him, <laughs> who is it doesn't make it very clear exactly what his genetic background is, but you can assume he's dark skinned based on a lot of what they say and yep. stuff. Like, they talk about his gypsy origins and yeah. things like that. Yeah, he's obviously dark-skinned. Yeah, he's obviously dark Which, if you watch most of the movie adaptations, is a huge thing that people overlook, yeah. and I don't really understand why. But and there are a lot of white men central. who play Heathcliff, yeah. but it's, like, hyper-relevant. Yes, <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. I guess you. I guess if them. you read at surface level, you can pretend like it's not relevant, yeah, but, like, it never it's relevant. It says that. It's just, like, yeah. you have to be, like, thinking about it to right. realize, like, he's dark. And it kind of plays into theories about why Mr. Earnshaw would bring him home, because yeah. there are theories that, like, he's a, the bastard child of Earnshaw and, yeah. like, some, you know, a whatever woman and yeah and yeah. decides to decides to bring him back something like yeah. that yeah so the, that's kind of theories as to because he literally just brings him home and is like we're raising this kid now as my yeah. son and <laughs> he treats him as his favorite too. like yeah like he's like, literally he a favorite kid own, like legitimate children yeah so like so. why he would do that is pretty relevant yeah. to, <laughs> to the yeah. childhood yeah so you definitely get the feeling that there's some sort of weird connection there yeah. with Mr. Earnshaw that we don't really know for sure what that is. Yeah. But, but regardless, Hindley doesn't appreciate it. No. Uh, <laughs> not at all. So Heathcliff and Hindley very quickly develop this rivalry. And it's so interesting how Emily Bronte writes it because I feel like it's so easy to have situations like this where one of the, like, Henley's just awful to Heathcliff and Heathcliff's just an angel right. and then, like, changes. But Heathcliff is always kind of one to fight back and for sure not necessarily treat Henley very well. Like, he knows he's the favorite and he manipulates the Yes, that's a good way of putting it. That. Mm-hmm. And Nellie being the racist Victorian woman that she is, um, is kind of like, oh, like, probably his background made it so that he was able to 
play his cards right better right. manipulate the situation he was so clever or whatever with this and yeah in some ways you could be like well possibly we don't know what he's he's like six years old when he comes he can't have manipulated like, that yeah, much <laughs> like, there's six years but that's six years of time where he had to have lived somehow right you know and you, that's true you don't really know like what he how his life was led before that but if he that's was living amongst gypsies like gypsies are known for uh-huh. i mean yes you know yes from my unbiased having never met a gypsy yes. perspective yes. <laughs> they are known for being manipulative and cunning yes. and, <laughs> and getting what they want themselves. from people <laughs> yes uh-huh. yeah so yeah, he could have learned that, or maybe he just grew up on the streets, and maybe and Mister Earnshaw just kind of found him and had yeah. an interest in him for some reason. Yeah, and he, but he, if he was living on the streets, then he had to be smart. Yeah, especially yeah. I think it's around like a sailing town. Yeah, and so there's mm-hmm. yeah everything involved with that. So anyway, yes, their rivalry just develops, and they just go at each other back and forth. Yeah, but neither of them is good. Yeah, Heathcliff ends up developing a friendship uh, to start with <laughs> uh, with Catherine it definitely develops into who knows what honestly but it's a friendship there's another debate <laughs> yes. uh, what exactly is going on so eventually Mr. Earnshaw actually sends Henley away to school and so he's gone and Heathcliff and Catherine just grow closer together but eventually Mr. Earnshaw dies and Henley is a man now and he is able to inherit and when she, he comes no, back, no, maybe too not... that Catherine is also bad. Yes, both <laughs> Catherine yeah. fits into this um, to this disturbing dynamic mm-hmm. really easily. Yes, uh, she's. I you get the feeling I think that her dad kind of neglects her. I think that's yeah. kind of the abuse she was experiencing was yeah. mostly just like he kind of ignores his daughter. I think you see it pretty directly at a couple of points. Yeah. There's I'd have to look around for the page, but. I mean, there's, like, you see her grasping for attention and him just kind of being like, why are you so naughty? Yeah. <laughs> like, He's moving like, on. Eh. <laughs> and you're like, you. okay. And you can, like, see her desperately, you know, mm-hmm. trying to get just any attention from her dad. And he just, like, sees her yeah. as this bad girl and Stinker. doesn't yeah, and But doesn't also, care. like, whatever. <laughs> I, I wish I remembered exactly what their mom's situation was like, mm. but... I believe that she, like I said, died when they were pretty young, and I think he didn't know how to handle a girl. Mm. Especially, like, they're living in this rugged country lifestyle, you know, where in this area where there's the weather's bad and it's just kind of chaos a little bit there. Like, this is kind of where the Brontes themselves grew up in the north of England and with all the wind and the diseases and all sorts of things and so they're kind of living in a very rugged experience and so she's not really receiving a lot of feminine attention out there For that sure. can help her to learn how to be a lady and Nellie never likes her yeah. Nellie re- never likes her and Nellie honestly doesn't really know how to act like a lady either like she's That's kind true. of grown up as far as ladies there. go yeah. Like, yeah. she had some more guidance than um, Catherine did I think partially because her own mother was around for long enough to help her to grow up and then I think she actually probably knew Mrs. Earnshaw better than Catherine got to right. because she was older and yeah. didn't have that relationship and so yeah I think she just didn't have anybody who could handle her and her dad had no idea how to handle a girl I think he was just a very rugged man yeah. so he just kind of 
ignored her. Just ignores her, yeah. And especially, I mean, you're talking about a time where girls are expected to just be good, you know? Yeah. Like, if a boy acts naughty, then, like, it's whatever. You just yeah. discipline him and move on. But when a girl acts naughty, she's kind of a lost cause. Yeah. Because girls are just supposed to be good. And it's interesting, <laughs> I will say, this book is so fascinating when it comes to, like, gender and, like, mm. the relationships between gender, especially for the time. Oh, like, 100%. Super interesting. Just, yeah, with that, where they're just so isolated that they're just kind of living apart from society yeah, so much. just like, however they Society live. influences things, but, like, they kind of aren't able to influence as strongly as if you were in a city or in a yeah. large town with, like, grander people who right. are land-owning people. So yes, Mr. Earnshaw dies, and Henley ends up returning with his wife and quickly picks up on not treating Heathcliff very well. Catherine, I feel like he doesn't treat her as bad as Heathcliff, but he kind of, like, he'll actually say stuff about her naughtiness beyond just that was naughty. Yeah. <laughs> so she's a little more disciplinarian with her, but also, like, it's still his sister, so he has greater hopes for her and her future, for sure. And that comes into play very quickly, where we have this episode at Thrushpost Grange. And basically, Heathcliff and Catherine go, and they're spying on the family that lives there. So it's this house, like I said, down the hill... And we see the Lintons, that's their last name, the Lintons, and they, it's a set of parents, and then they have a son and a daughter, they have Edgar and Isabel, and they're just having, I think they get her a puppy, and she's all, like, kind of whiny. They're, they're kind of spoiled brats. Yes. They're on that complete yes. opposite side of the spectrum, where... Their parents are loving and kind. Loving, <laughs> maybe a little too indulgent, mm-hmm. I would say. Kind of like the, yeah, very opposite end of the spectrum as far as parenting styles from neglect at Wuthering Heights to overly indulgent at Thrushcross Grange. And so they're kind of, Heathcliff and Catherine are kind of judging them. And then they end up having their dogs sent out on them. And so Catherine and Heathcliff are running away from these dogs that are going to attack them. And one of them ends up getting Catherine. And I think she hurts her ankle. And so Heathcliff goes running back to Wuthering Heights to let everybody know, like, hey, this happened. I don't know what's going on and stuff. And so they go back and they find that the Lintons ended up taking her inside. Oh, they chased Heathcliff off. That's right. They were like, oh, my gosh, and, like, took her inside. But we're like, get away, you gross little street urchin, basically. Mm -hmm. And so he goes and lets them know that Catherine's at Thrushcross Grange and that she was hurt. And this creates, so she ends up staying at Thrushcross Grains for a few weeks to heal and stuff. And during this time, this is her first interaction with higher society and anyone outside of her own family who's able to teach her womanly ways according to their society. And she latches onto it. I think a lot of it comes from her lack of feeling loved right oh yeah she's been seeking this attention her whole life (laughs) they are happy to give her a lot of a lot of it like i said they're overindulgent and so they're the complete opposite end so it's just as unhealthy but like catherine for catherine Catherine loves here's what you have to know about catherine catherine loves attention (laughs) 
<laughs> more than anyone yeah. you've ever met, Catherine yes. loves attention. She, I would say, I mean, earlier I mentioned Heathcliff might be like borderline personality. She's for sure borderline. <laughs> I think Heathcliff, I, I'm sure you could come up with a better diagnosis for him right. like, as a psychologist, but I think. Catherine is definitely borderline, extreme yeah. borderline personality where it's that you latch on really tightly in an right. unhealthy way, but yeah. also you kind of push away in an unhealthy way as well. That's Catherine. Like, literally Catherine. Like, you push away and then you pull back in and you push away and pull yep. back in and that's yep. literally her to a T. To a T. That's actually kind of just a perfect description of her whole yes. personality. Like, you really don't... There's Catherine. Yep. You don't need to know anything else. Borderline personality disorder. <laughs> so this really creates a rift between Heathcliff, Heathcliff and Catherine because Catherine's able to stay there, but Heathcliff is still in this abusive situation with Henley, and now Henley doesn't really have anything stopping him for, from going full on on Heathcliff because Catherine's not there anymore. Right. So and he's so the master he's, of the house, and there's yep. no girl there to hold him back. Yep, and Heathcliff is just made to be a servant. Like, even when Catherine comes back, Henley's like, you can welcome her home and say hi to her as one of the servants is literally what he tells him and it's super heartbreaking for Heathcliff because Catherine's the only one he's ever had yeah and so I mean Nellie has like moments but like the only one who really has ever understood Heathcliff and made him feel like he's worthwhile as a person as a human being is Catherine because I feel like even Mr. Earnshaw like he loved Heathcliff and like he was his favorite but he it's not like he was indulgent with him like right he was indulgent in that he it's not like he got mad at him but like he didn't it's not like he was all over him and being like oh like Uh, giving him actual attention yeah more like oh yeah you're great (laughs) and I think there's a difference there's a different relationship when you know you can manipulate somebody too because I mean, I'm not going to try. Like, I believe thoroughly that Heathcliff, like, made an effort to manipulate Mr. Earnshaw, you know? Like, he knew that he was the favorite and he used it to the best of his abilities, right? Mm -hmm. For, you know, however he learned that or why ever he chooses to do that, that's what he does. Um, And you just aren't going to have the same relationship with somebody who you're trying to get something out of versus Kathy you can't pull one over on Kathy. Mm-hmm. Like, Kathy does what she wants and gets what she wants, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. You're, she, he, he's not manipulating Kathy. They're just pure, thoroughly friends, you know, who are on the same page and looking for the same things and just enjoying their time together. And I think that that creates a stronger kind of bond and relationship. Yeah. And, and the actual friendship rather than just somebody who you see as, like, part of your survival. So there's several scenes we're not going to go too into depth, but we definitely see Catherine's bi- or her borderline personality disorder come out a lot because so they start setting this up where they want Catherine and Edgar to get married, and Catherine kind of wants that too, mostly because she's seen what the Linton's life is like, yeah. and it's like very glamorous compared to what she's grown up with. I'm sure if you were to go somewhere else in England to another house, you would see Thrushcross Grange as less. Um, glamorous but for her it's very glamorous and she loves that and the attention and Edgar is just fawning over her and like loves her and she's a very pretty girl and so he's just obsessed with her and she just loves that whereas Heathcliff is obsessed with her but it's in a more like they just understand each other way as opposed to just like the attention that 
Catherine loves. And I think she thinks about the money, too. Does Nellie accuse Uh her of that? Yes. Uh They have that conversation, and she admits. She's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, sure. there's like a lot. Yeah, she there's this glamorous life, and so she knows that like Heathcliff and her are more alike and get along better. But she's like, but Edgar can take care of me in the way that I now want to be taken care of. Mm-hmm. She can also just get whatever she wants out of Edgar, and you know, like we were saying yeah. earlier with Heathcliff, she like mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't just pull one over on Heathcliff yeah. either. <laughs> yeah, exactly. not, they're not gonna play each other's games. Yeah, they'll play games on other people together right that's how they right. that's how they roll but she can just kind of control so, edgar yes exactly and we see how obsessive edgar is when at one point she's like first of all being rude to nelly like pinching her physically hurting her and edgar's like that's not right and then is gonna leave and then he she like literally slaps him and then like two seconds later they're like engaged <laughs> He's yep. like, oh, I love you so much. I feel so bad. Like, it's brutal. He, like, leaves the house and walks away. And Nellie is like, keep going. Don't mm-hmm. turn back. Don't come back. Mm-hmm. And then he turns around and Nellie's like, he's doomed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he then they got engaged. <laughs> he fell for it. Yep. And, yeah, Catherine, like Heathcliff, knows how to mess with people yeah. and, like, to manipulate people. And so they kind of ha- were forced to learn that because of their growing up, unfortunately. And so... That's just how they see life. So we have this really another memorable scene between Catherine and Nellie where Catherine basically talks about being engaged to Edgar. Cariana briefly mentioned it about Nellie accusing her of just wanting money and that being wrong. And there's all these kind of reasons that Catherine gives for why she loves Edgar, why she wants to marry him. And none of them really satisfy Nellie. She's like, you're just horrible. That's so wrong. (laughs) And, and I think part of it from Nellie's perspective is, first of all, she's like, she feels bad for Edgar. She's like, I don't want you to manipulate poor little Edgar. But also I think she, to give her credit, I get the feeling that she knows that Catherine really cares about Heathcliff and that Heathcliff mm. really cares about her. And she's kind of like pushing her to be like, why are like you choosing you guys Heathcliff? could be happy together. Like, <laughs> you guys are so perfect Suited. for each other. Yeah. Um, I would say they're not actually perfect for each other, but no, they're actually no. really bad for each other. But just, I mean, as far as but honestly, if it could similar, get them away from everybody else, it might be better for the world. <laughs> very true, very true. And so we see that's where the quote Kariana mentioned from her necklace comes in, where she says, "He's more myself than I am." Heathcliff yes. is me and I am Heathcliff. Yes. Can we read that dramatic yes, scene? Please, Just because I'd love to read a dramatic sentence from Wuthering Heights. Yes. Do you know where it is? It's so hard because it switches between Lockwood and them and so then I never know like where we are or what's going on. Okay. So this super beautiful, dramatic, iconic speech. <laughs> and it's raining, so you have to imagine like thunder and clouds and rain hitting the the uh, windows. <laughs> Her and Nellie having this heated argument and passions being worked up. <laughs> so great. Uh, Delicious. So gothic. 
<laughs> okay, so then Kathy is arguing. She says, I've no more business to marry Edgar Linton than I have to be in heaven. And if the wicked man in there had not brought Heathcliff so low, I shouldn't have thought of it. It would degrade me to marry Heathcliff now, so he shall never know how I love him. And that not because he's handsome, Nellie, but because he's more myself than I am. Whatever our souls are made of, his and mine are the same. And Linton's is as different as a moonbeam from lightning or frost from fire. (laughs) (laughs) We love it so much. Dang. So me and Heathcliff are the same. And that's why I love him so desperately. And Linton and I are the opposite. (laughs) But I'm going to marry Linton anyway. Because... I'm too good for Heathcliff now. Yeah. Wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. But she blames Hindley. That's an interesting thing that I hadn't yes. mm-hmm. thought about in this yeah. conversation. She's... That she blames Hindley for bringing Heathcliff Damn. too low mm-hmm. for her. It's yeah. kind of an interesting resentment mm-hmm. there. Yeah, because if he had been treated properly as the ward of Mr. Earnshaw, yeah. then and it he would have be been her more equal. appropriate. Yeah. yeah. But because of Hindley and his abuse... That yeah, causes bringing him down to, to a servant's like, yeah. level. Dang. Sorry, right now we're talking a lot about just, like, destroyed family relationships. Yes. That's kind of what the beginning of this book is about. Um, it's got And then, yes, eventually we will talk about atoning power yes. <laughs> and healing. we got to get a good sense of how messed up How broken they is. are, yes. Mm. How much they need healing. Yes, desperately. <laughs> So amidst this scene, we should say also that it starts off with her talking about how she could never marry Heathcliff and da 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 da. And this is what Heathcliff hears. So Heathcliff overhears what's going on. Nellie actually sees him and doesn't say anything. Nellie. Nellie. Definitely an imperfect woman. Nellie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yes. she has her flaws, that's for sure. She does. She may be a little less insane than everybody else, but she's still very biased. Maybe not by that much, though. Fair enough. So yes, so he hears Catherine basically talking about how she can never be with him, and then leaves before she starts talking about how much she loves him. Of course. So of course, (laughs) miscommunication. We love it. Stuff always great. So Heathcliff leaves and literally leaves like he's just gone, and they don't know where he went. And Catherine is heartbroken over this, of course, and it's. Three years go by, and they have no idea what happened to Heathcliff before she marries Edgar. You know what we didn't mention? What? Edgar, the Lintons dying. Because Catherine gets a cold while she's staying at their house and passes on a sickness to them, and they die. Mm -hmm, Because she comes and stays with them. Yeah. Which is just kind of a random, brutal detail (laughs) in this book. Just probably very symbolic of a lot of other things. Yes. Yes. She causes a lot of the suffering yeah so just because we're talking about families just i felt like be, mm-hmm. you know since yes, our focus is on is on families and broken families and relationships though edgar and isabella's parents do pass away um before a lot of this goes down like yes. right right when mm-hmm. they meet Catherine and these two families collide yep yeah mm-hmm. so edgar has inherited yes everything. yes and so, so edgar's then, rich right now yes <laughs> so then yeah Catherine marries him yeah. About, yeah, like I said, several years after Heathcliff leaves, like, she waits. She does wait. Trying to wait for him to come back. Yeah, it's see. it's interesting that she still has the whole, even after saying everything, I just saw later on in her speech, too, she talks about how 
if Heathcliff and I married, we'd be beggars. Whereas if I marry Linton, I can aid Heathcliff to rise, mm-hmm. right? And place him out of my brother's power. So she has this idea of using money, the money from Edgar, to help Heathcliff. And so it is interesting that she still can't help but, like, wait around to see what he might come and up with and do. that's such a fascinating moment because... In some ways, you're like, oh, she actually cares about him, but it's the greater sacrifice. But it's like she already said, like, he's more myself than I am. So really, it's still just as selfish because it's like Mm -hmm. she's taking care of herself. Like they treat each other like two parts of the same. I yeah, I genuinely think that she sees Heathcliff as her. So helping him rise. It's almost like him being low and under Henley's control makes her feel low and under Henley's control. Yes, exactly. Oh. And so raising Ooh, him I have never just thought about it like makes that. Makes her feel better. Dang. Yeah. <laughs> it's so No, it's all so unhealthy. Is so twisted. It's so yeah. bad. This episode has been divided into two parts. You have reached the end of part 1. Part 2 will be released the following Thursday. We hope you enjoyed the first half of our discussion. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at God in All Things Podcast. Additionally, if you are interested in seeing what Tori is currently reading, head over to her YouTube channel, Good Strong Words. Thank you again for listening. We hope you are having a wonderful day. Keep remembering to see God in all things, and we will see you next time.